0: A reading from the book of John, where Jesus shares about what truly quenches our thirst and satisfi- satisfies our hunger. Jesus said, to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I'm going to, uh, in addition to that passage, I'm going to add one more, uh, brief little uh, passage from the book of James, this is from James 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply your bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. I um, was on vacation last week, uh, and um, you, a little confession here, when I have a Sunday off, it would make sense, oh, the pastor wants to lead by, but when you have a Sunday off, you kind of take a Sunday off. So I ran a 5K last Sunday. Uh, We were up in Michigan. Uh, visiting with uh, some family in the lovely town of Pettenwater, Michigan. Just south of that town there's a town called Hart, Michigan and so they had a 5k on a Sunday morning and so I'm a pretty avid runner and of course Sundays aren't always conducive for me running in races so I took advantage of it and had a great time, it was a great course Uh, and then afterward um, I was just kind of hanging around. Often if you've ever run any or walked in one of those uh, courses or races, they'll have goodies. And so often there's like bananas or bagels and things like that. And on this particular day, they had all of those things. And then they had something else as well. They had hot dogs. Uh, hot dogs the last thing I want right now. But I hung around some and was kind of chatting with a couple of people. And the more I waited around and was kind of, just taking it all in, the more I thought, you know, I'm kind of hungry, I'm still kind of hungry, and I don't want a bagel, I'm gonna go for one of those hot dogs. So I walked over and set my hot dog down, and then noticed somebody else had done the same thing, and that's when I knew that I was a Chicagoan, because I started to put the mustard on my hot dog, and then I saw the person next to me get out the ketchup. Oh no. I'm sorry. (laughs) And as soon as they started to put the ketchup, there was a part of me that almost wanted to say, No. That's when I knew that Chicago that. Now, we are such a big and loving and grand community that you can put ketchup on your hot dogs and you are still welcome here in this space. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so but it's so funny how I saw that and just had that visceral reaction, like, oh, you don't want to do that. But of course, that person enjoys ketchup on their hot dogs. Many people do enjoy ketchup on their hot dogs. And when I think about it, I'm now at the point, like I would never put ketchup on a hot dog. But the thing is, like hot dogs in and of themselves are perfectly good food, at least I think. I love a good hot dog. I went to a baseball game the other day, had two hot dogs. Ketchup on its own, also perfectly good condiment. I love ketchup on my french fries, On. Potato. What else? What else do you like ketchup on? Anything else? Hamburgers, Hamburgers an excellent answer. Yes. Eggs. Eggs. Oh the goldfish crackers. Ketchup on goldfish crackers. All right? So ketchup is good on all kinds of things. But when I think about hot dogs, I think hot dogs here ketchup here, they should not come together at all. Now, some people disagree with that, but sometimes I think we may have our own kind of food items. I like this kind of thing. I also like this. I would never put them together at all. Well, I'm saying all of this, it's a kind of funny, silly way of symbolizing, perhaps sometimes when we think about how polarized we are. We're talking about much more serious issues. When We think, even when I said, Oh, people in our Congress. Maybe you at home too, watching too. Like, oh no, and there are of course a lot more serious topics that we talk about where we are polarized, and you have to be this, you have to believe this, or you have to believe that, and there's no nuance, there's no room for bringing the two things together, and this of course fills, uh, spills over into our faith lives as well and in the church. Sometimes in the church, maybe you've been part of this community where a church is very much, you have to, I'm so glad where Chris kind of led us off as she said good morning today, you have to believe this thing about faith or about God, or you might be a heathen and believe that over there. And so they have these two ways of thinking. You have to believe this or you have to believe that. But over the next few weeks, We're going to be exploring instead, rather than thinking about either or, we're going to be thinking about what would it mean to be both and. What would it mean to bring two things that seemingly are opposite, but can be brought together in ways that help our faith lives to flourish. And in addition to all of this too, we're going to be doing this or using this as kind of an introduction to what does it mean to be United Methodist. Now, when we started Urban Village, I wasn't exactly sure if we would get many dyed in the wool Methodists come to our community, and it turns out that we didn't. We have had so many people over the years who have had either no faith uh, journey or went uh, to a different kind of faith tradition, which is great, and we welcome all of them into this space. But after we found out that Urban Village is for here, River Forest too, for people who might be driving by and see River Forest United Methodist. And so I've had more than a few people over the years tell me, so what exactly is a Methodist? Especially for people who are like a little leery about joining this community, like what am I signing up for? Do I then have to become a Methodist? And if so, what does that mean? Well, we're going to do a very kind of brief overview of what that means using this both and way of thinking and talking about what does it mean to be United Methodist. A lot of this I'm um, using a book by a Wesleyan uh, scholar, and when I say Wesleyan, so I should say the Methodist movement was founded in the early 18th century by a uh, really by two brothers, John and Charles Wesley, in England. Had their own way of thinking. So there's a scholar named Paul Chilcote. Uh, and he's a wesleyan scholar and he talks about he wrote a book called recapturing the wesley's vision and he talks about for the wesley's they believe very much that you should bring two things together from a both and point of view so you might some faith traditions talk about personal salvation on the one hand others would say no it should be social action and the wesley's would say it should be both that life in christ is both personal and social, it's also community, a little bit what Wing Yun was talking about earlier today. So over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about two separate things that sometimes we might think they're separate, but actually, we must bring them together in order to fully live into our faith. And so today, we are talking about two things called faith and works. Now what do I mean by faith and works? And these two things uh, come together. So we have a quote here from John Wesley, and he says this about faith and works. And I'll talk about a little bit about what these mean in a minute. But Wesley says, the truth lies between both faith and works. We are doubtless justified by faith. This is the cornerstone of the whole Christian building. But if good f- works do not follow our faith, it is plain our faith is nothing worth in good 18th century British language. <laughs> Bringing together faith and works. Now churches, I think whether they know it or not, tend to kind of lean toward one camp of faith and works over the other. They may deny that or they may think they don't. They try to bring it together, put it in one camp or another. So faith for some people means you must believe in a particular creed. Faith for some things, it, it means that you have to believe in something specific. Or faith can also mean if I just pray or try hard enough, then good things will happen. There's lots of way of talking about it, for some. Think about what is it, when we think about what they might favor one over the other, we might ask ourselves, what are they counting? Meaning, there are some traditions who say you, what, what you believe is the most important thing. And often those traditions will then also say, we have had X number of confessions. We have had X number of baptisms. These are the things that they are counting. But they also will say very much, you must believe these kinds of things. That's what they might mean by faith. Now, there might be some other traditions that would believe something different or say something different. And that is, what you do matters the most. And that might be put under the umbrella of the category of works. And when we talk about things that you count, often those traditions will talk about, we raised this much money for emissions, or we handed out this many uh, cans of goods for those who are experiencing homelessness. Both traditions aren't bad at all. Both of them have really good things in them. And yet, at times, we tend to go toward one or another. And this passage from James is one that for those who like the works One, they like this passage a whole lot because it says, so faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Meaning, they are saying, what you do matters the most. And others might say, no, no, and this might talk a little bit about the passage that Brian read and also out of the, the passage that Chris mentioned earlier, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish. So we have these two categories, the faith, again, I'm making generalizations here. The faith people are saying, what you believe is what matters. That's what saves us. We are justified by our faith through God's grace. That's the most important thing. Others would say, it's how you live out your faith that others will know about God's love. That's the most important thing. It's what you do with your faith. And Wesley and Methodists would say yes to both. Both of these are vital. Both of these are important. And when I talk about and think about faith, often I think about trust. So we have a a quote here, again from Paul Chilcote, who says this about faith. He says, spiritual healing begins when we put our whole trust in God and not in our own efforts. For him, this is what faith means. And there's so many different ways to define faith. But he says spiritual healing begins when we put our whole trust in God and not our own efforts. We cannot work it out ourselves. But once we put our trust in God and accept God's unconditional love offered freely to us in Christ, then we begin to love God, others, and ourselves. Wonderful fruits, which are works of love, are the natural consequence of a tree filled with God's life. And so, Shilkot is saying, and I think what Methodism is saying too, is that when we put our whole trust in God first, and when we fully do that, and trust not in our own selves and who we are and what we can accomplish on our own, when we put our whole trust in God, then that opens us up then to want to do these works of love that others are in need of as well. And this is what James is getting at too. A faith without doing these acts of love is dead, James says. But we need faith. We need to be filled up, as Chris said, we need to be filled up with God's love and spirit. And then out of that comes ways that we bear fruit and are there for others as well. What I'd like for us to do right now is, I don't often do this in a sermon, but I want to guide you in a very simple prayer practice that I've kind of done for myself, and I think um, others have done it too, but I have found it really helpful in thinking this week about faith and works. What I want you first to do is just take your hands, wiggle your fingers, we all have hands here. Now, I want you just to clench them into a fist. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to begin to think with your clenched fists. What are the things in your life that you are holding on to? The things that you are holding on to that get in the way of your love of God. They might be destructive habits. They might be a theology that has caused you harm. Perhaps it's selfishness that you're holding on to. Maybe it is the need to control so many things. Maybe it's having unrealistic expectations for yourself or for others. Maybe it's fear. We hold on to these things, and you might clench your fist even tighter because we hold on to these things so much. But now I want you to begin to unclench your fist and open up your palms and your fingers as an act of letting go. As an act of letting go of those things that cause you spiritual harm, that cause you anxiety, And you may do this several times, clenching and releasing. And when we release, we might say a prayer, God, I am giving you this. I'm giving you this that I am holding on to that takes me away from you. I am releasing this to you. And friends, when we do that, I believe that is an act of faith. That is an act of faith. Because we are letting go of those things that cause us harm. And are releasing that to God. Trusting that God will take that. And after we have released our fist, we notice now we have open hands. So now we ask ourselves the question, what will I do with my open hand after I have released these things to God, I've trusted having faith that I can give these things to God, I now have these open hands. What will I do with these open hands? Perhaps I will put cans in a cart for someone who is experiencing homelessness. With my open hands, perhaps I will hold someone else's hand as an act of love and care. Perhaps with my open hand, I will put my hand on the shoulder of someone who is suffering. Maybe with my open hand, I will write a note or a letter to an elected official seeking justice or a note to a loved one saying, I'm thinking of you. Maybe with this open hand, I will applaud the work done by one who needs to know that they are loved. There are so many possibilities with open hands. You can open your eyes now if you haven't already. But I've been using this prayer practice this week and I've been feeling so helped by it as an act of letting go of the things that I hold, the control, oh, I have issues with control, and wanting and having unrealistic expectations for others, I have those too, and so I release those, and then say, "All right, now what do I do with my open hands?" I was thinking about this. Um, we were listening on our w- trip or back home yesterday from Michigan. We were listening to the Moth podcast, a radio show. If any of you have ever heard it, the stories told on the Moth, and a story was told that made me uh, reminded me of uh, an experience I had too. That the story was about someone who is called a death doula, someone who is seated with someone as they are in the stage, last stages of life, and that reminded me of an experience that I had. This is in a former church with an individual that I'll just call Ernest today. Ernest had been a long time member of the church, and it was clear that his, uh, he was coming up on his last days. He had uh, four daughters. And I don't know how well the daughters got along with one another, but I could tell there was some conflict and they had now, were different faith traditions. Two of these daughters were so concerned, and again, this is, Ernest had been part of this Methodist church for many, many years, but they were concerned that their dad had never said the words, I accept you, Jesus, into my heart. And they were so, and it was palpable, the anxiety they had on their faces. He's never actually, they didn't believe he'd actually ever accepted Jesus in his heart. And if he didn't say those magic words, then we don't know what would happen after daddy died. And so they were trying to, can you just have him say those words? Can you just make sure that he's accepted Jesus in his heart? Now, two other daughters knew of his longstanding membership in the Methodist Church, and they disagreed with their other sisters. They knew that was a good man. He had done so many good things. He didn't have to say these magic words. And so they were telling me, don't worry about what they are saying. We know dad is just fine. So I'm getting both of these messages. Those people in that kind of maybe faith category, he's gotta believe this thing. And others in that works category, he's done so many good things in his life. But what I did instead after they had all left the room was just sit down and just talk to Ernest. And I listened. And he told me stories about his life, about his membership in the church, about his wife who had passed before him, about how much he loved all of his daughters. And he just shared all of these things. And he, it was clear he was nervous about dying because he wasn't sure how his daughters would be. But I didn't talk further and I said about, you know, Ernest, you've had a good life. It's okay to let go. And so he began to open up his hands as well. And so I opened up my hand as well. And I placed my hand in his, and we said a prayer. And it was just a prayer of gratitude for all that Ernest had done in his life, for who his daughters were, even though they disagreed. And our open hands joined together in this prayer. And it was a holy moment. And 24 hours, Ernest died. And I believe to this day, it was his act of letting go, of knowing that it's going to be okay. And in the process of letting go, of Ernest holding or opening his hand and taking my hand as a way of using his open hand, but I believe also that process of opening his hand was a way of him accepting life eternal, a way of him being with God forever, which is perhaps the greatest thing that we can do when we have open hands. There are so many things that churches and our faith traditions tell us, and sometimes it's hard to know what I believe or what should I believe. But I believe this, that yes, faith in God, there's nothing that we can do that brings us closer to God. Instead, it is a trust that God is there for us and we release the things that hold us back And then with hands open, we can receive that. And then with those hands open, friends, what can you do with your open hands? What works of love can you do? What impact can you have on others with your open hands? I pray that that might be a way for us to know the both and of what it means to have faith and trust in God and also knowing that we have the open hands to do those works of love that God is calling us to do. Amen.